Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. All right, let's welcome up. Here's Heather Kamira to uh, continue our Advent series. <laughs> well, good evening. It is always such a pleasure to be with you all. A um, little uh, public service announcement for those of you who don't know. Yeah, next week's Christmas. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm just a little bit in denial, just a little bit. Uh, yeah, I don't feel prepared at all, at all. <laughs> but uh, it is coming. Um, I don't know if you feel this way or not, but I feel like every year, Christmas starts just a little bit earlier than it did the year before. Anybody else? I feel like I was, you know, still hiding away my Halloween candy from my girls, and I was already getting ads for Christmas gifts, you know, in my feeds, my social media feeds, and online and on TV. I'm like, what in the world? And, and as I started to think a little bit more about that, you know, I thought maybe, yeah, it might just be a marketing ploy, for sure, but I think especially in light, in light of the last couple years, I think we are all longing, longing for something to look forward to, aren't we? We're just longing for that. There is an undeniable sense of anticipation in the Christmas season, no matter who you are, no matter who you are. And I think there is that desire in all of us where we just can't wait to pull out our favorite Christmas movies and start pulling out our Christmas decorations, put up our tree and start buying all those gifts. And, and it is easy, it's easy for all of us, me included, to get caught up in its otherness, you know, the otherness of Christmas and to buzz right through December and slam into Christmas, all the while forgetting why, why are we even celebrating this holiday to begin with? Well, classically, the church has been very aware of that need for anticipation and preparation in the Christmas season, but has little to do with shopping and little to do with decorating, has much more to do with our hearts, doesn't it? It has to do with our attention and our, and our focus. The, see, the word advent, as we've said before, is derived from the Latin word adventus, and it means the coming or the arrival. This is what we call these four weeks leading up to celebrating the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. But did you know, did you know that Advent is so much more than just looking back at an event that happened in a manger a long time ago, that actually it's also a looking forward, a looking forward to when he actually comes again. See, right now, we actually live in that in-between place in that in-between place, between the two advents, the two advents, the first and the second arrival of Jesus. And that's what, in the vineyard, we classically call the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. See, we're living in this place right now, in this perpetual advent, and not just, again, waiting for a one-day event that will happen when he does return, but we get to experience the very nearness of Christ himself right now, right now. I mean, especially in the places of our lives that feel busy 
and feel overwhelming and feel unpredictable, amen? I mean, Advent is all about recapturing the reality that we are not alone, that we are not alone, and that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. So here we are, and we are in that fourth week of Advent in our series called The Crossroads of Christmas. And so far in this series, we have looked at different crossroads of decision that each of these characters have faced in light of the revelation and the signs that they encounter in the Christmas story. So far, we've looked at Mary, we've looked at Joseph. Last week, Michael looked at the wise men. And tonight, we are looking at the shepherds. At the shepherds. And, And this is, I mean, this is classically the most famous Christmas passage in the Bible. I mean, even Linus himself quotes it in Charlie Brown's Christmas, so it has to be famous, right? Uh, We're looking at Luke 2, 8 through 20 today, and, and this is actually the only account that we have of the shepherds that night. So if not for Luke, if not for Luke, we'd have no shepherds, and we'd have no fluffy little lambs in our nativity scenes. But there is obviously a bigger reason why Luke is including this and why he's he's trying to show us something. I think it's that the shepherds encountered, as we'll see, they encountered something they never expected. And they're told this incredible news. And in this critical moment, this crossroad, they could, they could have run away in fear. They could have said, yeah, that's just too much for me. I'm out of here. But instead, what we see is that they choose first to listen to the truth, to seek Jesus, and to share with others. Now, by looking at what the shepherds do in this story, we see not only a beautiful example of how we should be responding to the good news of Christmas, but also a way that we can practically combat fear in our lives. So let's go ahead and pray and just invite the Lord's presence to be with us this evening. Well, Lord, we are just so grateful that you do say that you will come close. And so we ask for you to meet us here with your presence today, and and I pray that you would make yourself known to us, God, that we would hear from you, that we would expect that we would hear from you tonight. May your peace just guard our hearts and minds as we look at this story today, and I pray that you would just have this time, you would have your way. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. So let's go ahead and open up to our story, our passage tonight. It's in Luke 2, like I said, and we're just going to start by looking at verse 8. So verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And usually we just pass on by this verse and just keep on going, right? But I want to stop here for a moment. First, let's just look at these shepherds. Here they are. They're outside the city, way outside the city of Bethlehem, and they're in the fields, and it's night. They probably would have been taking shifts, sleeping because of the real risk, not just to their sheep, but to anyone that was staying outside the city gates, at night. Uh, They would have been just, you know, quietly chilling in the nighttime, waiting for and looking for any kind of uh, risks or threats to their sheep, but mostly just a quiet, 
quiet evening, a silent night, right? Uh, and not just because of their chosen profession, not just because of their isolation, being out there by themselves in the fields, but, but actually because of their reputation as well. You see, shepherds were actually considered consider the lowest rung on the social ladder in that day. They were viewed in uh, the same way tax collectors were viewed, <laughs> And uh, they were almost, um, I would say, the the only people group that were lower than shepherds were the lepers at that time, you know? So this is kind of the way people viewed them. They were seen as second class. They were seen as untrustworthy. They were even deprived of many of their civil rights in that day. They weren't allowed to be judges in a court, and they weren't even allowed to serve as witnesses. Shepherds were related to kind of in the same way that gypsies were back in Europe for centuries. They were viewed as suspicious and people to be avoided. And if that wasn't bad enough, (laughs) they were also despised by the good and the respectable people of that day because they were actually considered ceremonially unclean. Being a shepherd meant that your life oriented around the needs of your sheep. They were your life because they were, your, they were their livelihood. And if you know anything about sheep, you know that they require endless attention and care more than any other class of livestock. Now, because of this, the shepherds were unable to keep the details of the ceremonial law. Um, they could not observe all the meticulous hand-washing and the rules and the regulations So they were looked down on by the religious elite. They were excluded and pushed out. Only because the sheep that they tended were so essential to the religious way of life in that day were they even tolerated. It's actually thought that because these shepherds were outside of Bethlehem this night, that they would have been the ones to actually supply the temple in Jerusalem, just north of them, with the sheep for the sacrifices. Because those sacrifices would happen every day and every evening in the temple in Jerusalem. But think about the paradox of this for a moment. Here's these nobodies of society who are looked down on, who are probably looking after the temple lambs, and they are the first ones to see the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How cool is that? See, no one is so low, amen, or so messed up that God won't meet you and use you in his plans and purposes for this world. I love what Joni Erickson Tata says, and she can say this if you know her story. God deliberately chooses weak, suffering, and unlikely candidates to get his work done so that in the end, the glory goes to God and not to the person. It's through these lowly shepherds that God chooses to reveal the birth of his son, and it isn't as as picturesque as we're conditioned to think it is. It was radical. It was radical and unheard of. And in verse 9, what we see next is is the shepherd's initial reaction to what happens. Point one, they are just utterly terrified, right? They're terrified. And we see that in Luke 2, 9. An angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
Here they are, they're minding their own business, and they're woken up by this angel, and they have the glory of God all around them, which is actually the only time we ever hear of the glory of God coming alongside and with an angel's appearance. And what's their immediate reaction? It says, obviously, they're terrified, but the word here that's used for terrified is phobeo, and it means to fear, to be afraid, to put to flight by terrifying or to scare away. These guys, these guys are ready to bolt. This is the kind of fear that's awoken in these guys as they are awoken by the angel. And and for us, I know that it's a natural response for us to be afraid of what we don't understand, especially the supernatural, and especially, I would say, in our Western culture as well. I grew up in a mainline you know, denomination, um, evangelical church, where when we worshiped, we would stand, and we would hold hymnals, and we would sing, and that's it. <laughs> that was worship, and it was, it was worship. But when I first came to the vineyard, can I just be honest, it was a little scary, because people actually put their hands in the air, and they would, they would wave in the air, and they would dance while they were singing and, and praising God. And, and then they would go up front at the end of the service, they would pray for each other right then and there, like at the end of the service. And then things would happen. Like I would hear a little thing, like little shrieks and little woohoos, and you know, you'd like, whoa, what's going on up there? And, and it was kind of unnerving because it was totally outside of the frame of my experiential little box, right? I had not experienced that before, but But as I looked around in that room, and I'm sure this is your, I would hope this is your experience as well, as I looked around the room, I could tell these people, they weren't trying to hype things up. They weren't trying to put on a show. And there was something incredible, even though I was very hesitant, there was something incredibly attractive about the way that people were worshiping and experiencing God in that room. And for some of us, I know whenever we encounter something that's just greater than us, when we encounter something greater than us, whether it's bad or good, whether it's an angel or it's something like COVID, right? Something so much greater than what we can have control over, I think it stirs up a lot of panic and fear in our hearts. I mean, we have all, in some way, dealt, had to deal with that panic and fear over the last couple years. I mean, our nervous systems, <laughs> they are not built to withstand the kind of constant stress that has been just flung at us every day in the news. I think that fight or flight response, when it is constantly on inside of us, we are in a perspe- just that perpetual state of agitation. We're not built to be in that state of fear and anxiety all the time. It's not good for us. It's so not good for us. See, whenever there is a threat to something that you've put your real security into, or whenever there's a threat to your self of control, a sense of control, or a threat to your sense of self or identity, our core gets shaken, doesn't it? Our core gets shaken. Um, if you know my story, and as I've shared um, here and there over the last couple years, when COVID first started, I had a newborn baby, and she had some serious health issues. 
uh, just one month into her life. And it carried on throughout COVID. And, and along with it, I started to realize I had some serious symptoms of postpartum anxiety. And my fear radar was just off the charts. To the point where I actually felt like the Lord said, Heather, you need to call a postpartum hotline. You need to like actually seek help. <laughs> and I did, uh, because I didn't even recognize myself in the mirror. I mean, it was the most out of control I've ever felt. And that wakes you up, doesn't it? It starts to make you realize, what is my security in? What is my hope in? What is going on um, in our world today? And and for you, it, it might be, you know, it might be different. For you, you might be fearful about your health because you have, you know, previous conditions that would make you susceptible. And maybe you're, you're worried about your family members who likewise are maybe in an age bracket where that makes them vulnerable. Maybe for you, you're, you're fearful about your job or the economy because of all that's going on in the world. Or maybe for you, it's, it's your relationships, and everything's just feeling stirred up and heightened, and everybody's emotions are just, you know, a little tense and raw. And, and I think when, when that kind of fear starts to hang over really every aspect of our lives, it mixed up with the unknown of the future, I think we get twisted up on the inside. It really starts to affect us. And our systems get overloaded, trying to figure out whether or not we're going to flee or fight at any given moment. And, and this, this is where we see our shepherds. This is where we see our lowly shepherds. You know, there's sheep at this point. I mean, the angel appears, and boom, the sheep all flee. I mean, they're all, like, scattered at this point. Um, and they are at this crossroad of fight or flight. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to fight that, you know, angel thing, you know, not, so they're ready to bolt, but they choose a third way. They choose a third way, and they decide to stay in that moment and listen to the message of the angel. They listen. In Luke 10, or 2, verse 10 through 14, it says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Hmm. So what we see right away is that this angel says the classic, do not be afraid. Seems like whenever an angel shows up, he always has to say that. Uh, and he says, I bring you good news. But did you know in other translations, and, and here I kind of like the, um, the King James Version, it's the classic, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. You guys remember that? That's a classic, that's the classic what I remember. And the modern translations, they usually skip that word behold, but there really is a corresponding Greek word there in the biblical text. And, and the word behold is edu, and it's to observe or consider, calling attention to what may be seen or heard or understood. What the angel is literally saying is, do not be fearing, be listening. Be listening, for I'm telling you good news. Good news. And I think this is probably a really great principle that we can use when we're dealing with fear. 
We can, we can use behold so that fear won't take a hold. Behold so fear won't take a hold. If you take time to listen to and comprehend the beauty of the good news, the gospel message, it loosens the grip of fear in our hearts and our minds. It's one of the ways that we can hold our, our thoughts captive, right? And, and what is this good news? What is this good news? I mean, they say right here, a savior is born. A savior is born. And, and this really is what Christmas is about. The announcement the angel proclaimed wasn't, hey guys, I've got really good news for you. God's gonna transport you to a really safe world. Are you ready? Uh, no, he doesn't say that at all, even though we kind of maybe wish <laughs> they would have. Um, he actually says the best thing. He says, uh, no, um, actually Jesus is coming into the world. He's coming into the world. And that means you don't have to be afraid anymore. Another way to deal with fear is to be helped by a power that is stronger than the danger you are facing. And that's what Jesus came to do. And in John 16, he actually says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And, and this is a truth we need to remember and continue to listen to. This is one of the reasons why I think God encourages us to gather together regularly, to actually come together, to come to church. We are reminded of what he's done for us through his word and even through singing worship music. I mean, the truths in the songs we sing, sing are powerful. And I think this is why we also do small groups as well and why we meet throughout the week because as John Wimber says, we, use, we, we tend to leak truth, don't we? we? We leak it over time. We forget. We forget. I mean, just think about how many times it says in the Bible, do not fear. How many times? It's like he knew we needed reminded of that truth every single day of the year. 365 times, wow. So what do we see the shepherds do next in response to this amazing news that they listen to from the angels? Number three, they seek, they seek. And in Luke 2, 15 through 16, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So they, they take a leap of faith here, right? They, they trust that what they're hearing is true and they choose to seek and find Jesus for themselves. See, hearing the good news is, is really only the first part. We have to respond. We have to respond by seeking Jesus. How many of you grew up in a church where you heard, you heard all the stories and you heard all the sermons and yet you didn't know that you could meet Jesus personally as your Savior and Lord? I know too many people who've been to church all their life and until they were older did they finally realize that it's all about meeting Jesus personally. And this is what we see with the shepherds. The shepherds take an active step toward Jesus. 
And isn't that li what life really is all about with the Lord? It's just simply taking one step toward him. One step toward him, one step in front of the other toward Jesus. Because if we're not moving toward Jesus, the reality is that we're moving away from him. I don't like that. I'll just be honest. I don't like that. I like the idea of just coasting toward Jesus, you know, and just letting the Holy Spirit guide me. It's like, you know, the picture of a boat in the water. I've actually got to get my oar and I've got to paddle every day, one day at a time, paddle toward Jesus. And occasionally, the Holy Spirit will grab my sails and take me a lot farther than I could have gotten on my own. But what happens when I take that oar out of the water? I coast right back this way. Because the current, the current inside of me and inside of you is our fleshly nature, which points us away from God, even though our heart of hearts is that we, we long, we long to go toward Jesus. In our flesh, we go that way. That's why it takes an active, an active movement every day to walk toward Jesus. You know, those who are growing most in their walks with the Lord are usually the ones that are just willing to take those small steps. They're not doing huge things for Jesus. They're just faithful to step day by day or, or their way day by day toward Jesus. I have a, a girl in my small group that felt like God was asking her to take a step toward him. And he gave her the idea that maybe next week she'd volunteer to read the scripture out loud in group, the scripture that we were studying for that night. And she had never done that before. It was really scary for her, but God was so gracious in just showing her the next thing he had for her, the next thing he wanted her to do. And the joy, the joy in doing that simple thing for the Lord, it was just beautiful, it was beautiful. Maybe you know that for you, you've been putting off getting baptized, or maybe you know that you've been, that God's been asking you to be, just take that step, try to get, try a small group out, try to get involved in church, volunteer, get to know people, be known. Or maybe you know that God's nudging you at times at the end of a service to come forward for prayer, and yet it's like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I wanna take that step. I think it is so, so good to consider the ways that God might be asking us to say yes to him in a small way today. Lastly, once the shepherds find Jesus, what do we see them do? What do, they, what do we see them do? We see them share. In verses 17 through 20, when they had seen him, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But, but Mary, Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. See, just as, an angel, just as the angel had said, they head to Bethlehem and they find Jesus. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, lying in a manger. I kind of wonder how long it would have taken them, you know, to, to find. <laughs> they're like, okay, where's all the mangers? We've got to find all the mangers in Bethlehem. And they're going here and there trying to find this baby, this baby. And upon this discovery, when they see Jesus with their very own eyes, they go wild. I mean, they, shepherds gone wild in Bethlehem. I mean, they go wild. They start waking everybody up. I mean, people are sleeping. They start waking everybody up. They start telling them about this baby and about what it means. I mean, they are so excited about what they have seen. 
And the townspeople, instead of being annoyed, one, that the shepherds are in my town, why are you guys here? Or annoyed that they just woke me up, they are, they are amazed. Other translations say the people wondered at these things. They wondered. See, the shepherds, they could have easily taken this encounter and kept it to themselves. You know, they just could have kept it to themselves. You know, take a little selfie with Jesus. See, I was there, you know, and I can always remember. Or they mull it over, or they think about it on their own, or they go back to the fields and they journal about it. But they choose, they choose to start a ruckus. They start waking people up and telling them. They can't help but tell people about what they have seen. I mean, just think about it. These shepherds have every reason not to share, right? They're not these gifted communicators. You know, they've not grown up talking to people. They, they speak sheep, you know? Like, they don't know how to communicate the message, the good news of the gospel, right? I mean, people are sleeping. I mean, they know, they know they're not welcome there, really, and, and they're not that knowledgeable anyways about you know, the Torah, the, the Bible, you know, in their day. Uh, what do they have to, to say, right? Um, who would listen to us? Who would listen to us? Do you ever discredit yourself? Ooh, do we ever, do we ever discredit ourselves from sharing the good news? I know I have. <laughs> I know I have. I mean, when I, if you would tell me, my younger self, that one day you're going to be up on a stage and you're going to be sharing about the good news of Jesus, I would have been like, yeah, you don't know me. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but when I remember when being in my first preaching and teaching class, and I was surrounded by just a bunch of women where they did this professionally. They were either on staff at a church, which I wasn't at the time, and, or they were, you know, nationally, they were national speakers around the country. And I remember thinking, why me? Why am I here? Like, what, what, God, what are you doing? Like, I'm not this, like, gifted, you know, scholar or this amazing speaker. Like, why me? And I think so easily when God is, is tugging on our hearts to say, hey, share that. Share that praise report to your friend at work or, or invite your neighbor to church. Tell him about how God has been connecting you into this amazing small group. When he starts nudging at you, what, what does the enemy do? He starts to bring up all those little insecurities, right? Oh, people don't want to hear from you. You're not that great of a speaker. Why would you? You know, like, it just, the list goes on. And, and I know that this is, this is just interesting to me, but that when you look at the Gospels and you see um, all these people that encounter Jesus, one of the things that happens with all these people is that they cannot keep their mouth shut about Jesus. Even when Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone, they, they just can't help themselves. And I think a lot of times, that's where we need to go. We need to go back into the presence of Jesus and say, God, well, what are you doing in me? And show me, remind me what you've done. Because we all, we all have a story. We all have a testimony we can share. Um, I know for the shepherds that night, boy, I mean, they could not stay quiet and they couldn't stay out of the way like they were told. They had to share what they had experienced and seen with others. And as they returned to the fields that night, what do, they, what do we see them do? We see them glorifying and praising God. Glorifying and praising God. And this whole story starts, starts with fear and it ends with worship. I mean, how beautiful is that? It starts with fear and it ends with worship. These men, 
return to the fields different men. They're different, they're changed, their lives are marked by this experience. And no longer are they just these lowly little outsiders. They are in. They have been included. They are in. And, and instead of filled with fear, they have just encountered, encountered Jesus, that Emmanuel, God with us. And, and we see their lives, they're not the same. They're not the same. Well, as the worship team comes back up, I, I just want to take it a step farther. And I want to invite you to consider one thing this week. I want you to think about one person that you could invite to the Christmas Eve service this Friday. Did you know that the, the main reason why people don't come to church or don't come to your small group is because they're never asked? They're never asked. So many people are willing, they're willing to come to church, especially during this holiday season. People are so much more open to coming to church. Uh, but a lot of us, we don't ask, do we? I would say just don't let this week pass by without asking the Lord, God, who, who would you have me invite? Without maybe extending an invite to a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or a family member that might really need to hear the good news the good news, and, and, and experience Jesus for themselves this Christmas. You know, the shepherd's story, I, I just think it's this wonderful example and, and reminder to us that it, how good it is to listen, to listen to the good news, what that can do for us, and, and to seek Jesus for ourselves, and then to also share him with others. And as we do, as we do those things, I think that my heart and my prayer is that we would not only fear less this holiday season, uh, that fear would have less of a hold on our lives, but that we would experience a greater degree of God's peace and joy, that we would be changed just like the shepherds were changed, that we would leave here glorifying and worshiping God and praising him for all the things that we have heard and seen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.